You guys are gonna be fine. Go nuts. All right. Go crazy. Um. Hello, and welcome to I Know the Owner, a podcast where bar people talk bar stuff. I'm Charlene Wellington. I'm your host and the owner. And I'm here with my two business partners, Henry Mountner and Louis Gomez. Hi, guys. Hi, Charlene. <laughs> hey, Charlene. <laughs> See, that was what I was talking about. All right. Oh, dear. I don't have to it's point at to you. It's like, like when you have a conversation, you just answer. Yeah. You know, just it's not a Zoom meeting. Four inches you don't away from my partner, the, Lewis, yeah. For the, so we're here at Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park, and we just had a little staff meeting, and now we're going to have a little episode. I'm going to do a shot. Um, clink. Clink, clink. We'll join you. All right. I want to say welcome, but you guys are here every day, and I'm not, and you're basically holding down the fort. So thank you. Oh my God! It's our it's our, our pleasure to be here. It's normally there would be all sorts of fun, lively bar sounds, but we're closed on this Tuesday. Yes, getting ready for the inauguration tomorrow afternoon. We're going to be open tomorrow. We're hoping some people come by. Of course, this will air after that happens, so we can't promote that here. But hopefully, we promoted it enough in the world. Uh, <laughs> so you guys are my business partners. And you've been in this business for a while. So, Henry, how'd you get started in this business? Well, in this business specifically, I moved here from New Orleans to open a wine bar with my cousin in Park Slope uh-huh. called Terroir. It didn't mm-hmm. go very well. Stuart's laughing. Is Stuart I'm being laughed at already. I don't at a know. movie he's watching or at your story? At my story. <laughs> All right. Wait, can we cancel? <laughs> no, we can't cancel. Oh, really? We're just rolling here? We're just going to roll. Um, you know, it was, it was always a dream to be either an innkeeper or a zookeeper. And I moved to New York to work in bars. And so um, it's sort of just been history ever an since. Just been bouncing around. An innkeeper or a zookeeper? Yeah. For real? For real, those were my two dreams growing up. Always um, very interested in hospitality. It was a family business. Um, both and, my cousins are in hospitality. And not, but you didn't go down the zookeeper path. No, I didn't get a good enough grade in biology. <laughs> so I'm saying there's still, there might still be time, but did for you, now we're good with the bar. Did you have a job before you were in the bar business? Did I have a job before I was in the bar business? Did you have like a first job? Yes. Um, okay. It's like, it's like weird to explain. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I Go worked, for it. I, uh, <laughs> right out of college, I wanted to be in finance. So I went and joined a company called the Idea Village, which was a nonprofit uh-huh. finance incubator that I just, <clears throat> I realized I was not productive sitting in front of a computer. So I had to make the See, I've seen you sit in front of hands. a computer and you're plenty productive. Yeah. But in, sh- in short bursts. <laughs> Lewis, what was your first job before before you were in the bar business? Well, my first job was probably when I was uh, ten years old, mopping up at a Dayhill Pizza. Okay, I'd come so, you, around, you so know, you've been in this business your whole life, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, also I would bag groceries at Three Guys from Brooklyn. So, oh, the the produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would just work for my little quarters for my spending money to go buy candy. Uh huh. How much candy does that get you? I would leave with like <laughs> six or seven dollars and be right. really excited from sweeping. 
No, from sweeping, I would make um, $15 a day, but from bagging okay. groceries for, I would go for a couple hours, mm-hmm. you know, during the rush and bag, you know, as many groceries as I could until I had enough money to buy candy. Were you employed by the store? Or did you show up there and like, hey? Just showed up. You just showed up? <laughs> yeah. Just what, <laughs> did other people show up and do that? I think so. Like, I think that was the move. You just show up to the grocery store and just they, let you, they just let you bag just the groceries. Start, start bagging. I didn't. I wish I would have known that when I was a kid. When I was a kid, um, I don't think I ever talked about this. My first first job was a dog walker, and there was a woman that lived around the corner that had three dogs. Um, Henry, you okay over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, There's a woman who lived around the corner. She had three dogs, and. Me and my two friends would go and we would walk their dog and we would make um, $5 a week per dog. And that was my first ever job. And But I wish I knew I could just go somewhere and be like, I bagged your groceries, now you owe me money. Cause well, I would love whenever we had a snowstorm because I would go and shovel out cars and mm. you would make 10 to $15 a car and I would can make a hundred bucks. Where know? are those kids now? You know, I did the same thing growing up and we wouldn't even um, make a contract beforehand. We would just shovel their driveway or car and then ask for payment afterwards. Ooh, shakedown. Yeah, which was, it was a very <laughs> easy way to make money in Ch- were there Chase, any Maryland. Big, big kids in your crew that would like really intimidate them or no. you were just like, we probably got hey, paid for hey, 70, Mr. 75% of our jobs. Okay. 60% maybe. You don't see kids walking around with a shovel anymore when it snows. You don't really see it snow anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's not once. I feel like in the pandemic, at least, like maybe we should have just done that, like gone out with our shovels. Yeah. (laughs) Make sure you have a back brace now, though. Yeah. So let's see. Whose story am I following up on? Um, Well, speaking of uh, shakedowns, that reminds me of um, (laughs) Stone Park Cafe. And there was these um, shady figure. His name was Outlaw. And he would come with a bucket. Was that his given name? That's how he introduced himself. Okay. And he would come with a bucket full of grease Uh and a little roller. Grease your gates. And he would, like, first he would grease your gates, and then he would demand payment. And he's like, I have an agreement with the owner. I know the owner. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. And then, you know, I was the manager on duty, or sometimes I wasn't the manager Mm -hmm. on duty, but then it would always be, like, frantic phone calls, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And And we would try to tell him, we're like, stop, stop. And then he was like, um, you know, leather vest, you know, bald head. Where do you get that grease from? You know, well, the chef. <laughs> it's a dirty bucket of grease he carried around. I, I remember him well. The chef would encourage him because he would always give him a well-done burger for his efforts. But then he would uh. always want like 60 or 70 bucks too. And you would have to call the owner and be like, this guy says we have to give him 60 bucks. And I would be like. You know, I I would see him coming and I'd be like, no, no, stop. Don't grease the gates. Don't grease the gates. Mm -hmm. And then he would get in my face and he'd be like, do you and me have a problem I don't know about? (laughs) And I was like, like, no, no, grease the gates. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was shamed by my boss the first time that happened to me at Boo Radley's um, because I called him and I said, the gate guy is here and he needs to get paid. And my boss was like, I thought you were street smart. How dare you fall for that? And I was like, I didn't fall for it. I called you. And um, that's actually one of the things I say when I train people is there's no, like, mysterious gate guy that needs to get paid. So that's, like, a scam that's been going on for a long, long time. 
And um, I was explaining it to somebody, I guess it was about a year ago, I was explaining it to somebody, and lo and behold, at Hinterland, some guy came by and was like, I'm here to grease the gates. And I'm like, no, you're not, get out of here. And he was like, yeah, yeah, talk to your boss. And I'm like, aha, you see, I am the boss. I think a lot of these scams have also evolved now. Oh, yeah? Or when I, I'm here often um, mm-hmm. by myself on, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, I'll get people coming in looking for money for all sorts of things, like the, um, the packages for wounded soldiers. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever had that one in Hinterlands. No. But basically he comes in. Oh, he's got a, like a clipboard. He's got a and clipboard like a with a bunch of plastic menus. Plastic things around, like a plastic, yeah. what's that called? And he goes, look at, look at all the restaurants that have donated, you know. And you say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't believe you. I don't want to donate. And then I'm getting, I'm getting you another you. shot, Henry, because you look like you're at an IRS uh, meeting or something. Oh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> audit. <laughs> no, like I, an pro- audit. I would an probably audit. More, be more comfortable in an IRS audit. <laughs> Here. I'll give you a little shot. Thank you. I'll give myself. I'll give myself a little shot. Oh, All right. Tequila for everybody. Yeah. Would you like a little tequila? So no, I, no, I think you. as long as bars are around, people will be coming in trying to scam the staff. Yes. Um, and we used to get the um, the basketball kids. Yeah, basketball oh, teams. And it's I'm always so sad. I'm pretty sure that there's some kind of like Fagin type character that gathers these kids up and gives them the clipboards and he's like, go raise money for your basketball team and there's no basketball team. And they, they always have like a box of chocolate, right? Do they sometimes have like Hershey chocolate? Yes. Like, world's yeah. finest chocolate? Well, it's not the world's finest because that, that's the kind that you actually get from schools. Oh, it's yeah. like a box of Nestle Crunch mm-hmm. or something. And they're like, fruit we're selling... snacks. The Welch's fruit snacks, too. <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's we're what selling. I always go for. And, and the first time you're like, get out to, you know, like... An eleven-year-old who, like, what, what's he doing? Like, why is he? Why does he even feel comfortable walking into this bar? Mm. You kind of feel shitty, and then, I guess, you get used to it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna put Henry on the spot a little more, get him more comfortable. I'm ready. So put your me on first, the spot. yeah, your first job was uh, terroir. Yes. And that was in Park Slope. It was in Park Slope. It was um, a bar. It was the fourth one of the franchise. So there's. Four others in the city that all did really well. They were all called ter- terroir. They're all called terroir. Okay. There's one on the High Line, one in Murray Hill, one in Tribeca, one in the East Village. But um, this was the first foray into Brooklyn, and I think it was sort of misjudged the neighborhood. In it that. was a little more expensive than the neighborhood was ready for. Right, and very. Um, it wasn't kid friendly. It wasn't particularly comfortable. And I think <laughs> uh, you know. And now it's uh, Two Boots Pizza. So, which, which has is, been there for nine years. Has and it been nine years? Doing great. Yeah, it was I mean, 10 years ago. That that's kid-friendly. That's totally kid-friendly. Yeah. And there'll be like like a drum circle or like a guy with a guitar singing kids', kids songs comedy. and stuff. Ugh. Let's uh, Kids comedy. Yeah. Let's do a little clink. All right. To comfort. Hey. <laughs> so... Before I ever met Henry, I had met a friend of his mm-hmm. who worked at Stone Park for a while. Now we're going to get the dirt. Go and on. And he, <laughs> he started hanging out at Two Boots because there was this um, girl he liked there. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, we all started teasing him that he was knocking Two Boots. Like, <laughs> he, would always, he never wanted to hang out like at the gate across the street with us. He was uh-huh. always like, I got to go up the hill. I got to go up the hill. And he was just... You know, going after the girl. Hey, well. I don't know if I was ever in the Two Boots 
um, iteration of that spot. I definitely drank there when it was Great Lakes, when you right. could like very easily fall through the floor. Yeah. Um, but apparently they put a whole new floor in, so you, you don't did. fall through. The one thing when we had terroir <laughs> was that they kept the original bathroom from Great Lakes with all of the shut up, all of the horrifying graffiti on it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then a little plaque saying, you know, this is, uh, you know, don't be offended. This is a time capsule from the dive bar that is used to be. Did they? And you know, the, the when you come in, the first thing was big white letters was Mark is a bitch. <laughs> we never knew Did they who it shellac was. it? Or no, they just well, yeah, left yeah. It? They 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 stay, They finished it, so it, like it wouldn't. You couldn't like yeah, add they, like, to uh, it. What is it? Varnish, lacquered it. Wow. Um, but yeah, they kept that That's as like a testament such a bad to the old idea. bar. Yeah, it was. A, it was some. There was some <laughs> awful things written on that wall. Oh my goodness! Did they get rid of the smell? Yeah, I think they got rid of the smell. <laughs> Great Lakes so, is the first time I remember hearing about like a bar firing their entire staff like one oh, night. Yeah? You know, I just like they're like, yeah, the whole staff is fired. Like new staff coming in, and it wow, was, it's like they were like colluding. There was some collusion. They couldn't figure out who the bad guy Cahoots. was, so they fired the whole staff. Um, so you guys both worked at Stone Park. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So Henry. Terroir, then? Then Parish Cocktail Bar on 7th Avenue and 4th Street. Very small operation. And from there, um, through so a friend like to Stone Park. you've only been in this business for 10 years. Yeah, Is that I true? have been in wow. this business for 10 years. Text message. Let me shut my phone. That's embarrassing. Not really. Anybody good? Uh, let's see. Let's see if it's anybody good. Um... It's my friend Robin telling me what time their kitchen closes because I asked. Mm. <laughs> my, my girlfriend's boss. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, oh, we're such an incestuous bunch. Yeah. Um, so then... Um, so anyway, I basically, I, I got a love of wine. I got very fascinated by wine. I wanted to bartend more, so I went to a cocktail bar, um, worked there for a year, loved it, and, um, and then just kind of kept moving and went to Stone Park Cafe where I met Lewis. I ended up going to Austria to pick some grapes in 2016 for a, a wine vintage and uh, just sort of, you know, always the dream was to be able to open a space to sort of exhibit, um, you know, some, some nice, fresh, local stuff. So then you met Lewis, who worked at, um, at Pizza Stone. Place, oh. and then you were bagging groceries, and then... Brooklyn Public Library for a long time. Okay. It was my after school job. And I was always sort of like, uh, I just needed to have money. You know, I just didn't, I didn't have uh, like much allowance and stuff coming mm -hmm. in. So I needed an after school job. I kind of regretted not being able to do extracurricular activities, but it was, it was nice to have money, you know? To yeah. Go out on dates Definitely. and things like that. Um, and uh, I worked from there. I, I moved up to a bookstore at Barnes and Noble in Union Square. Okay. And, um, my entrance to the business came because I had a week off where I was supposed to go on vacation, but mm -hmm. my vacation fell through, but I still had the week off. And my friend called me and they're like, they need a bus boy at this place. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I told them that you speak English and Spanish and they were like, <laughs> and they were very That's, excited you know, yeah. to meet me. So I, you know, I took a little test. I had to name four kinds of mushrooms and then. Okay. And name four kinds of mushrooms. Do it? Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, 
Portobello, Shiitake, okay. Shima Aji, Button, you know, Hen of the Woods. That's five. That's know. two I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and I started working as a busboy in Bluefin in the W Hotel in Times Square. Oh. I was there for five years. I what was years? A, I was there from oh. Two oh three, like right, yeah, probably the end of O two. I was at the Westin till um, I guess O three. When was the blackout? O three. I think it was O three. So that they're because they're the same company. Mm. So we were like ships in the night. Uh huh. And I, I was at Bluefin, and um, my first shift was coming mm-hmm. in at four in the morning to wipe the leather chairs. There was white leather chairs all over the entire place. You had to come in at four in the morning? Yeah. They're like, wow. you want the job? Come in at 4 a.m. We'll pay you <laughs> out of petty cash. And I was like, okay. And then and I ended up working like a 16-hour shift that day and uh-huh. many more of those as time went on. Uh-huh. I was a busboy for like three or four months, but then I became a barback. Mm-hmm. And that was probably still one of the most fun jobs I've ever had in the, in yeah. the industry. These uh, Bluefin was, you know, 400 seats. There was like four floors. It was like running an obstacle course every night, you know, uh-huh. with buckets of ice and filling up like milk crates full of liquor and wine. And then I learned all about wine just by reading the labels, you know, there were nice. 600 bottles of wine on the list. And if the sommelier went home at 10 p.m. and mm-hmm. somebody ordered a $400 bottle of wine at midnight, uh-huh. you know, because we were still open, then you would have to go rummaging and finding uh-huh. like, and like find all these stuff and I never know. learned about wine. I still think it's, that's one of the best the the best bartender training there is is being a bar back in a yeah. big restaurant or a hotel where they just you keep your head down, you don't deal with the customers, but you learn like the true like management and logistics of how a bar works. Yeah, you know, we were on walkie-talkie, so they would call you. They'd be like, you know, bar for Lewis. You know, we need two buckets of ice, and then and we need a pull right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'd have me cutting fruit and like busting the bar and sweating, running your ass off. Mm-hmm. Did you have to ignore the customers if they try to get your attention, or did you have to speak to them? No, it was terrific because you were in your own world. Mm-hmm. So as long as you were just moving quickly. So then- if the customers were like, hey, hey, you could just pretend like you didn't hear them. Yeah, exactly. You got somewhere yeah. better to be. <laughs> yeah, you had like the lowest class of uniform on. It was just like black on black, no mm-hmm. apron, no white shirt, no oh, wow. distinguishing features. It was like you were meant to hide in like in plain sight. And then you had the W on your resume. So how long did you say the W? Well, it wasn't technically the W, but Damn. it was in the W building. And I was there for about off. five years or so. And, um, you know, after bar backing, I became a server. And, you know, it was a uh, pool house. I mean, oh, it wasn't a pool house. It was every person for themselves. You would just have to tip out your support staff. So, you know, as a, when you would start off as a waiter, if you would, you know, it was a big pre-theater spot and you would mm-hmm. get cut at 7 o'clock and you would go home with $60. Or if you were one of the senior servers who got to stay, you would stay till the end of the night and you would leave with $350 instead. So, so it was, you said it was a pooled house or it was not a pooled house? It was, no, it was not a pool house. What you'd have mm-hmm. to do is you, each server would tip uh-huh. the busboys 13%, uh-huh. the food runners 13%, the bartenders 5%, and the coffee person 4%. And that coffee person was leaving with 600 bucks a night. You know, like... Wow. Yeah, they were, like, doing amazing. Mm-hmm. I hate a pooled house, but I guess it's uh, it has its... It's it's a way to sort of incentivize the staff to work together, yeah. Which is 
in a smaller operation it is I've done both. Useful. I worked when I was a server um, at the Sheridan. We we were not supposed to pool tips because we would basically get tipped on people's room charges and we would have to pay taxes on our tips. And so we were not supposed to pool. But I had certain partners that I would work with, and we would decide that we wanted to pool and. Um, it would be great because the other way it was like every man for himself. Mm-hmm. This is my table. This is my table. And you would kind of like fight for the best table. And when you pool, you all work together, right? right. Um, but I also worked in a place where I worked the night shift till 4 a.m. And they wanted me to tip out somebody who left like when I got there. And I'm like, that's not fair. I'm here till 4 in the morning. I'm calling people to come in. I'm busting my ass, and now like this guy's home asleep, and he gets a part of my and tips. He's just racking up. Yeah, that's wages that's kind of bullshit. Well, yeah, I would uh, flirt with the hostesses, and you know, <laughs> and then be like, "This is the table I want." Like, I would be at the host stand. Like, I'd be like, "I will help you seat tables. I'm helping you." Yeah, and be like, "These guys look like they have mm-hmm. money. Like they're spending money. I want them in my section." Yeah, and they're like, sure, you're helping me. You can have whatever you want. You know, makes sense. It pays to be nice. Yeah. And Lewis, like he's saying, was, uh, you know, the bar back was his favorite job. My favorite job I had was uh, as the host. Oh, at, yeah? At Hearth, yeah, at Hearth Restaurant on 1st Avenue and 12th Street because it was like, uh, you know, it was like the, a high-stakes game of Tetris, basically, which is like filling, you know, filling a restaurant with people, making sure you're not overloading servers. Um, Did you, know, you get a lot sure of handshake, like secret handshake tips? Yes, that's officially awesome. no, but yes, <laughs> they absolutely would. And you were, you know, unofficially given the. Luckily, we're not recording this. Given the power, yeah, <laughs> long ago. But uh, yeah, you're given the power to sort of um, control the restaurant as um, you know an underpaid manager, and it was great. I always loved it. Yeah, you know, they the host taught me that move where at the host stand you stick your hand out, you know, uh-huh. like. Uh, and you're kind of just waving it in front of you, like, and it's wide open for something to be put in there. And you say, there's, there's nothing I can do. And you just kind of wave your hand in front of them. So that they right. know that, that there is something you can do, but you're going to need a little incentive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't know if I've ever received handshake tips, but I've definitely given a few. There's an art to it. Did you already tell your Frank Sinatra story? I never. I did not tell my Frank. Should I tell my Frank Sinatra story? I, don't I wanna, think you should. Um, so, um, I was 19 years old. I was living in Las Vegas, and Frank Sinatra was playing at the Desert Inn, and I was a huge fan. And I got up early, and I got online for tickets, and oh, somebody's at the door. That's our W2. Oh wow, we were just talking about our W2s. Um, I'll continue with my story. So uh, where was I? So I got up early. I waited online. I got tickets to Frank Sinatra. And I didn't know anybody in Vegas. So I took my mom's friend's kid um, and went home, got dressed. You know, this was before you could buy tickets online. There was no online. And um, that's from Amazon. That's not our WTs. No, unfortunate. Um, So I get dressed up. I go to the Desert Inn. I walk in the door. I have a $50 bill in my palm. I shake hands with the maitre d' and I said, I want Frank to sweat on me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I sat um, 
front row, one off the center. It's cabaret seating, so there are long tables on the stage with my elbow on the stage for Frank Sinatra. I think he was maybe 78 at the time. It was like two years before his big 80th birthday party, and it was amazing. And I can't believe I pulled that off at 19 with the 50 in the palm and the handshake and the whole thing. Yeah, you probably... (laughs) Could have saved yourself $30, I think. I probably could have. I probably could have. But I don't know. Would I have been like center with my elbow on the stage for just a 20? I don't know. (laughs) Worth it. He died a few years later. Um, So you guys guys met at Stone Park. Right. I was the manager at the time. And, and I we remember, met at Stone Park. Yeah. Lewis was very mean to me my first uh, oh, six yeah? months at Stone Park. Henry Let's was, hear it. Henry was sort of, he's sort of one of my best friends right now. You know, we've been through a lot in the <laughs> so, last couple of sort years. Of, he's like kind of your only friend right now because he's in your COVID pod. <laughs> right. We're, we're in a very small bubble. <laughs> but um, I was a manager uh-huh. and I hired this um, great uh, employee named Anna on the uh, on the same day that Henry got hired by uh-huh. the owner of the of the bar. Okay. And in my mind they were competing against each other to see who was the better hire. Nobody oh. told us this. <laughs> <laughs> and was it also in the owner's mind or just your mind? Oh. He's a very competitive person. I'm sure it was in his mind too. Okay. Mhm. And like so I would you know, go out of my way to, you know, to make Anna look good and to kind of <laughs> to, to tease Henry a little bit where I could. Uh, and did right. Anna stick around? Yeah, I think yeah. she stuck around longer than Henry by a little bit. Oh, wow. So they, and they were, you know, uh, and I think it was neck and neck as to who was the better employee. Henry came, right. Hannah, Anna came from a, a restaurant family. They had a, a restaurant upstate in Poughkeepsie somewhere. Oh, wow. And she had been working in restaurants since she was 10 years old. Uh-huh. So, like, there was a... She had a, like a some chutzpah, and <laughs> yeah. I think when it came down to it, she was a much better server than I was. I mean, that without a doubt, um, I think I was willing to do like dirtier, weirder jobs than she was. So like, I would <laughs> I would get paid to like pull the bar fridge out and clean the, you know, like the old like roaches and silverware from behind <gasps> the bar fridge, and she was given you know the best section and made a lot of money. So. We we went in different we went in different directions <laughs> towards the end. Both important. Yeah, we Both had important we had our jobs. strengths. We had our weaknesses. But, uh, yes, Anna so, is still a close friend of ours to this day. She's she's great. So when did you guys realize that you were friends and and not enemies? I, I always had a certain respect for Henry, you know, in terms of wine. You know, like he he had a great uh, like uh, I have a pretty good wine knowledge and. Mm. Um, and I'm also really good at like faking what I don't know about wine, okay. you know, like um, and just I've always focused on the descriptive elements of wine as mm-hmm. opposed to like the technical elements, because I feel like that's what people want to hear anyway. And so I, um, you know, when there were other people there who didn't know anything about the mm-hmm. wine list that had 250 bottles on it, that I knew I can depend on Henry to, to know something like that I didn't even right. and uh, and in a pool house that does make you more money. You know, because yeah, like yeah. as soon as right. you're selling a two hundred dollar bottle of wine, that ups your check averages and and you know, Stone Park was a pool better. house too. It was, and I was initially very worried because there was this massive wine list, and I felt like I had to know everything correctly about every bottle. And then Lewis told me I can just bullshit half of it anyway, 
and That's good uh, to know. and you still sell the bottle of wine. So it's like I feel like we, uh, you know, it's like we kind of met in the Just middle say there. Say it has it was, notes of chocolate, and then yeah, you know, buy or it. like you know, uh, you know, you know some general things about Malbec. Maybe you can infer something about this bottle that you haven't tasted specifically. Um, Basically, you just want to make people, what I learned is as a sommelier, you just want to make people feel good about their choice. You don't want them to spend too much money, but you want them to spend enough that the, their guests don't think they're being cheap. It's all uh, like psychological and You mental. want them to spend like, like- Nobody cares about the wine. Like really. 5% more than they intended to. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to order the second cheapest bottle. Nobody wants to order the cheapest because yes. then they look cheap, but nobody wants to go much higher than that. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's just this sort of middle ground you and, have to find. You know, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> well, like... Uh, Is that in your notes, Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, um, I feel a little bit bad about it now, but, like, you know, it was a different time in 2008, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know... There would be a group of four women, and I'd be like, well, this wine is harvested and planted based on the cycles of the moon. And they'd be like, oh, like me. like you know." <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, they would go straight forward, and they, they would love it. Stuart's very into astrology right now, oh, yeah. so uh, you'll have to talk to him, talk to him about it's, that later. It's important. Um, it's, he, a, it's a real he, thing. He's trolling me, and he knows yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how many years were you at Stone Park, Lewis? I was... I was there for 11 or 12 years total, but I left for like two years in the middle to go have some adventures. I turned like, yeah, I was, I was at, you know, Bluefin for about five years, Stone Park, 11 years. And I went out to Colorado because at a certain point I discovered that if you have like New York City fine dining experience Mm -hmm. on your resume that Mm -hmm. you could probably get a job anywhere. I mean, it's not so true at this moment, but like, you know, there was like these recession proof kind of things and all this stuff. And I, um, so I, I I went out West and I got like a a great job managing a restaurant at the top of a mountain Mm -hmm. with like, um, amazing perks. And I was able to snowboard, you know, a hundred times in a season, like out there. Yes. I forgot and, that you snowboarded. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was there a long, long time at Stone Park. And like, I, you know, I just, you get to a point where you know every single person that comes in and like for better or worse, where mm-hmm. like there was the people that come in and, you know, want to be treated special. And then there mm-hmm. was just the people that you wanted to treat special. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... I was at Stone Park for two years, which was the longest I've been at any job. Other really? Than, other than Minnie's Bar at this point, which is not even I, two years, so I'm not even there yet. So I Stone wish Park I would have known time. that before we went into business together. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, you know, I was always trying to, I don't know, I really wanted to own a hotel, and every step was just trying to get yeah. a little bit closer yeah. to that. I mean, it can uh, still happen. Here, so it's good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I kind of jumped around a lot. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I got thrown into New York like pretty quickly and into like a, you know, an, a big opening. And then I kind of had to figure out how to live here after that. Um, so I, I left Stone Park um, to just try to bartend more. Mm-hmm. And You were a server at Stone Park? I was a server and, and a bartender. And towards, a bartender? I was a bartender and a, like a day manager sort of um, towards the end. I don't remember you from Stone Park. I remember Lewis. Yeah, oh, he's probably more memorable. <laughs> Lewis was like. the like the face of Stone Park. Yeah, him and Robert, I think, for a long time. Robert yeah. being the yes. the wine guru guy, um, who I learned a, a lot from. Um, 
and then I got an opportunity to open a bar, which was Parish, which is I think why Lewis and I initially got together to sort of embark on this project. Yeah, how'd that happen? How'd that go? Well, uh, <laughs> Henry had left Stone Park. Uh-huh. He had, you know, gone to pick grapes, and he came back and. He was like uh, apparently buying this bar from these people, and then the deal kind of fell through. And I was like, "Well, that must mean that Henry has a bunch of money that he wants to open a bar with." I, I didn't. <laughs> and uh, Not a little bit. You know, I went in to see him at his bar, mm-hmm. uh, like while he was kind of doing some build out and rearranging things and getting ready to reopen it before mm-hmm. the deal fell through. And I, I needed to ask him some advice about what kind of dog to get. Because, like, uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to buy, I think I'm going to get a dog. My wife and I had just gotten married. Mm-hmm. My beautiful, lovely wife, Kirsten. And <laughs> she, um, you know, uh, and I wasn't, I knew we, we knew we wanted a dog. And it had been two weeks since we'd gotten married. And Henry had all this rural sort of, um, you know, that. Uh, I have some dog knowledge. His zoo dog keep, knowledge. His my, zoo, my, zookeeper my, my mother rescues dogs. Yes. Kicked in. Indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he gave me some advice. Like I went, I had to go, there was a litter of like four pups left and I had to go and pick one out. And he was like, this is what you got to look for. Just like mm-hmm. look for independence a little bit and look okay. for like, and it totally ended up working out well. I mean, I, as soon as he met her, he, Told me to take her back and get a cute one, yeah. <laughs> which I will never live is down. That, is that Minnie? Are <laughs> yeah, we talking about Minnie? Minnie? <laughs> yes. Minnie, the name. So it was a joke. Henry's, she was cute. Okay. Henry's responsible <laughs> for Minnie. Yeah, yeah. to a certain extent. Oh, I, that's I, you know, important. The, uh, the specific Minnie is the one. dog that Minnie's bar is named after. Yes. Well, I mean, uh, I know that. Everyone has a mini, like uh, the three of us. They're, mine is the current mini, but yes. Henry grew up with a mini. I have a dog. little Jack Russell named Mini, and <laughs> I have an aunt Mini. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it was uh, it was a natural. That was actually well, I don't know if we're jumping ahead, but that was like the most difficult. One of the most difficult parts of this process was naming this bar. Yes, there were naming uh, the bars has of always been like. the most difficult part. Ugh. You know, Charlene had an ideas. Charlene had an idea to name the bar Gussie after her grandmother. My grandmother, yeah. And I, I didn't really love the name at the time, but now my son is named August. So and the next bar can be Gussie's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we we kind of we're going with Augie as his name, as but like it would be cool. But if, Gussie would yeah. work. Gus Gomez and then we just got to get a, a cat named Gussie for for Henry and we're all there so Lewis you just had a baby congratulations yeah it's amazing I never thought it would happen to me (laughs) the Um, baby you know his his cheeks are kind of plumping up and now he really looks like me (laughs) (laughs) he looked like you in the sonogram (laughs) so all right there's no denying that child Um, We're looking for the, forward to him to get a little record, older. For the record, I told to Lewis that he cannot get pregnant until the bar has been open for at least a year, and he got pregnant on the one-year anniversary of, I mean, his wife got pregnant on the one-year anniversary of Minnie's. So um, good so following missing. directions, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, we weren't quite ready either, I guess. But, I guess uh, no one's ready, but, I mean, you, you spent your your quarantine time well. So you guys, <laughs> you guys worked at Stone Park together. 
And so Lewis was like, oh, this guy Henry probably has a bunch of money. Let's talk to him. So was that before or after we looked at the place in Park Slope? Oh, that was long before. Yeah, he had, you know, that had fallen through about almost a year before we ended up um, signing the lease here at Minnie's. And, um, you know, I went to see my barber, Gary, today, and (laughs) he was sort of responsible for this, like, coming together in a way, too, because, you know, he kind of got it into my head that even though I didn't have any money, I might be able to open a bar. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's cheap. (laughs) And, you know, um, Kirsten and I were married and we were like, our big plan was to take a fancy Asian honeymoon uh-huh. the next year and spend two yeah. months in Thailand or Sounds something. Sounds wonderful. We did not do that. Yeah. We spent our honeymoon money opening the bar. Plus. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Plus my piggy bank. I had a piggy bank where I would put all my singles whenever I would take cash tips home and uh-huh. that had $3,000 in it. And I, that definitely made it possible to open the bar from in my room. Wait, the $3,000. Are you telling people that you only had $3,000 to well, open that, this bar? Plus the honeymoon money. But oh, okay. like, uh, gotcha. We don't need to go into specifics. <laughs> no, we don't. But I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I broke open my piggy bank also. I broke open many, many piggy banks. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So how did this happen? How did this happen? So, well, Gary, you know, asked Charlene and I to go and look at a space with him, and which he has since turned into a, his own a restaurant. Beautiful space. Bar. But Charlene and I both agreed that it, there was too many weird things about it that it wouldn't work. <laughs> like the uh, the basement was only don't, don't mind that ice sound. Stewart's just making himself a cocktail. Yeah, the basement was like uh, five feet tall, and was, you had to go through the outside to get there. And we we're like, "Oh no, this could be a deal breaker." Yeah, I didn't want to deal with that. And there was some like illegal zoning issues. I mean, I, I'm sure they they've have been cleared up, cleared those up. But for now, I mean, we but, had the same thing. But know? we did have the same thing. But Charlene, the C of O. She told me if I found something in Sunset Park or in Midwood Flatbush that I should mm-hmm. give her a call. Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, we looked at that space in November, and then in March, I called Charlene. And I was like, "There's a place next to where my D and D group meets." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say it out loud. <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed of here. And the crazy thing is, Stuart lived up the block from here when we were dating, and there were two bars on this corner, and I was like, oh, man, if one of those bars closes, what a great place to open a bar. And then you found it. So so I called Henry, and I was like, come look at this space with me. What do you think? Like, I think we should do it. And he goes, yeah, totally. And then so we called Charlene, and we met at Dunkin' Donuts. And she's like, let's let's do it. You guys, I love Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I love it. It's the best coffee. We we glazed over the part where we actually looked at the space, and it was just absolutely terrifying. It was terrifying. I mean, I've never seen an uglier bar in my entire life. I mean, the bar was made out of the same tiles as the floor. It was filled with children's toys. That's right. There were seven dead raccoons in the backyard. Yes. This place was a real mess. (laughs) There was a deck, um, not a wooden deck. It was like, I don't even know what that material was, but it was some kind of decking material. Yeah, weatherproof plastic decking material. The kind that, like, I feel like playground, like jungle gyms are made out of. And we we ripped it up, and we found well, not we, you guys found seven raccoon carcasses under the. Right. I was amazed that Lewis <laughs> saw the potential in this place because we walked in and had like I oh, think I saw opposite it. I saw reactions. It. 
Lewis fell in love with it, and I like wanted a hazmat suit. And I fell in love with it. I know. And also wanted a hazmat suit. Yeah, but now look at it. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't beautiful. even recognize it. <laughs> you know, there's actually a little Easter egg in the uh, front bathroom at Minnie's. It's a mm-hmm. painting that one of my best friends uh, had commissioned for me. It's a raccoon skeleton wearing oh, the helmet and armor of Minerva the goddess, you know, a.k.a. Minnie. Another Minnie. Yeah, a.k.a. Minnie. You know, um, and that's that just in homage to the to all the dead dead raccoons (laughs) and then who drew that a friend of a friend i don't know he had a commission he paid for it oh Oh, that's nice and then every so often an old regular from the old place will come in and they're like oh man we used to sit in the back and the raccoons would come out we would feed them and i'm like oh my (laughs) god that sounds terrible they would say the way the easiest way to tell who is a regular and who is new is if you were sitting on the back deck and the raccoon stuck his arm through and grabbed you, <laughs> the people that weren't regulars would jump. <laughs> and if you, if you knew your way around here, you would just know to like stick a little piece of food in the hole. <laughs> They're gone now. So, yeah. That's why you got to get your garbage picked up you know, seven days a week. You can't at, leave at least that six. Stu- you yeah. can't leave that stuff laying around because you end up in a bad situation. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, but I don't think we realized the flooding, and that's probably the reason why they had the deck in the first place, was the flooding, which we still haven't resolved. But uh, one day. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> it's all, it's all on a so, list. So is uh, bar ownership everything you... Uh, let's, let's imagine it's March 15th, 2020. My birthday. Was, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a March. Um, so let's imagine it's let's let's say not even that that far into it because it was already getting scary by then. Let's say it's like the beginning of March 2020. Was bar ownership everything you dreamed it would be at that point? We we were really digging it at that point. I think. Yeah, it was a lot we, of we work. Were starting to but we were hit our stride. I mean, we had the karaoke night. We had yes. trivia night. We had RuPaul's Drag Race with uh, Miss Gisabella, great drag queen. Oh, she was amazing. I mean, we she were packing hosting. this place out like three or yeah. four nights a week. Yeah. And yeah, it felt it good. It was pretty awesome. Oh, now I'm feeling sad. I forgot how great it was back then. Now we're like seven people came in. and. <laughs> but I think now we've learned at least, uh, or at least since managing this bar through the pandemic that... Um, I don't know, it's a very different set of skills to manage a bar that's busy and a bar that is has essentially no one allowed inside of it. Um, yeah. You're still paying rent, you're still paying insurance, you're still paying everything. And no one lets so. to, gets to look at our gorgeous wallpaper that that I picked out. It's true. She picked, <laughs> she picked out great wallpaper. <laughs> and uh, the construction, that was fun. That, that wasn't as, as horrific as... Hinterlands construction. It went faster. I guess we found yeah. Nick. Found Nick. And that was when we really relied on Charlene <laughs> for everything. She had a great design sense. And, you know, we just, sort of, you did. I mean, we didn't know what to do at that point. We we're like, we're both good bartenders. We can both handle customers and we know our way around booze and all that. But when it comes to like negotiating with contractors and stuff, we were very lucky to have you. Oh. I second that notion. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how good my negotiation skills are, but you know, I feel like they're okay. You just don't know <laughs> how much you don't know. About, That's like, so true. Yeah. I think um, my my move is I'm like 
this guy, I'm going to treat him like he's my uncle. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to treat her like she's my niece. And then that somehow happens. It happens with almost every mechanic that I hire. <laughs> They're like suddenly my uncles. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. Well, I think that's, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And we'll we, uh, our uh, contractor has turned out to be somewhat of like an uncle to us. You know? Yeah, Still like, kind uh, of. You know, things pour through the ceiling at various places, <laughs> and uh, he is still the one we call. I Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I feel like... He's um, a dunner. He's a dunner. He's not a doer. He's a dunner. <laughs> I feel like I never realized how disgusting my world could be until I owned my own bar. It's <laughs> true. Um, what do you got in your notes, Lewis? Oh, um... <laughs> Uh, just the kind of notes about it, each era of, in my career, like uh, Bluefin was like so much fun, but mm-hmm. but you know that was back when the hourly wage was like three dollars and fifteen cents oh, an yeah. hour, and I was just I wrote down about my like my ten thousand dollar tax bill that I got two years after I stopped working there. Oh wow! <laughs> and you know that made things really scary for me for a little yeah. while, and it's just like the lack of you know four hundred one k in this business. Yeah. Or, like, you know, like health insurance, yes. financial security. It's, it's a lot of risk involved in this entire there is a lot operation. Of risk. I had a really awesome moment today because I woke up with a UTI. I'm not afraid to talk about anything on this podcast. I woke up with a UTI. Well, that was yesterday. And my normal, because I've never really had health insurance before, my normal thing is like go to the pharmacy get the cranberry pills like take the -the over-the-counter drugs and just like drink as much water as you can until you get better and then I was like wait a minute not only do I have health insurance I have a primary care physician and I made I know and I made an appointment online and I got a zoom appointment for this morning at 9 a.m and I got to talk to a doctor from my couch And there was a prescription in the pharmacy a few blocks from my house within 20 minutes of that. And I went and I got it and I took the prescription and like, what an amazing world. That must be what it's like to be Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) What a time to be alive. What a time. What a time. Um, What else you got in your notes there, Lewis? Well, um, (laughs) have you ever, like, I think that uh, this is one of the fundamental things I've learned about drinking that you don't hear about very often mm-hmm. is the two kinds of drinkers. Okay. The blacker outers and mm-hmm. the thrower uppers. That's I, it? That's all there is? Yeah, well, it's like... If you, if you, <laughs> at a certain point, that's all there is. Yeah. Okay. If you If you drink too much, or like how you get drunk. Okay. If you drink too much, like myself, I'm, I'm guessing you too, like... You know, you were like, the room starts spinning, and you have to throw up. You can't do anything. You need to go to bed. Yes. And everything is totally safe. Uh-huh. But then there's the blacker outer drinkers. Yes. And, you know, there's just like a switch that flips. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they have no idea what's happening. They won't remember what goes on the next day. Yes. And things get very dangerous, you know, and I feel like that's yes. what I had to deal with like a lot. Do you guys agree yeah. that this is yeah. the way of the I world? I think that might be the way of the world. I think that I have been a thrower upper most of my life, but I think there were a few years where I was a blacker outer. Okay. Um, but as a lifetime bartender, I would wake up the next day and I'd be like, guys, oh my God, 
I don't remember anything what happened last night. And they'd be like, well, first you cleaned up a bunch of tables, then you walked a drunk girl home. Then, <laughs> then you, you like, did the money right. You, yeah. <laughs> like, like you paid That's the nice. bill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I just say my advice, hire, hire thrower uppers and not blacker outers. Yes. 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 Uh, for your staff. That's, <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> In this how to open a bar podcast. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe like for the interview, you know, like. Sit him down with a bottle of tequila and see how it. Oh, uh, drunk see, interview. And just see how it should goes. Have, that's maybe that's yeah. what we should do. We should be like, okay, here's your job interview. Drink these shots. Add these numbers. Count mm-hmm. this money. Right. If you can get it right, you're hired. It sounds like Coyote Ugly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but do they make them count? Do they make them count the money at the interview? I'm. You know what? We're gonna we have to implement this. It. We give yeah. you three shots. Count this money. If you get it right, you're hired. Done. I'm in. It could be like an an obstacle course through the bar. (laughs) It's like wipe down, you know, carry a tray of glasses, wipe down five tables, count the money. Yeah. See where you are at the end. That's a genius. Oh, the tequila's working because I'm saying silly things. (laughs) Um, What else? Do you guys have any complaints about our partnership? No, not about our partnership. (laughs) One thing that's on my mind, though, that I wanted to talk about was the fact that when I was a bartender, which was Uh like eight years, I used to feel much more comfortable like becoming friends with the customers and like Mm -hmm. going out with them and Mm -hmm. maybe doing some I don't know doing things that I you know you wouldn't normally do all all these kind of things but then ever since I'm an owner I've been a lot more careful and reserved because I feel like people can find us here at any time so it was like I don't know it used to be um like it used to be more fun to be a bartender and oh, I'm yeah. always a little bit jealous watching my bartenders have fun with the customers where in a place where I know like it would be inappropriate for me to do those kind of things to like go back to the customer's house and like yeah, keep and, like, drinking have, until yeah, eight have, in the morning exactly and then try yeah. to you know show up it's like uh, I don't know there's something uncouth about the owner doing it but something like very uh kind of like I mean classy I about the bartender of, doing it I worked for a lot of bar owners that would do that they would like come to my house after but then the thing is when you're the owner of the bar and you like go out after then everybody expects you to pay and i don't think we're there yet (laughs) we're not we're not Not, at the point in our bar owner careers where we're the ones that can pay especially not for minis um and yeah i can see that um, what else is different than being from being an owner to being a bartender? Just the, I mean, just the general sort of sense of responsibility, I think, and yeah, being the point person when you're, you know, you're especially now in COVID times when you're getting inspected once every two weeks yeah, and you're dealing with all crazy. these, all these different government agencies. Um, you know, it's just I feel like it's like when you are living with your parents and when you're not living with your parents, you know, all of a sudden you have to like make your own <laughs> meals and it's, I don't yeah. know, it's kind of hard. I guess that's true. Yeah. I, I when feel you're a like you're just walking out with 200 bucks and having a great time. I remember when, when I first opened Charlene's and it dawned on me that like the buck stops with me and I'm responsible for everybody's like health and well being, And if it doesn't go right, it's my fault. Um, and that ha- that happened like a few weeks into it. I was like, "Oh my god, what did I do?" And um, and then the other thing is, you know, when you go into work and like you're out of this beer and this thing is broken, and you're like, "Ah, whatever," you know, I'll make it work. But when you're the owner, you're like, "Oh my god, I have to deal with this." 
Yeah. Like, this thing is broken. Like, why did nobody tell me this thing is broken when you really just, like, come in and work a shift? I know. It's, it's, and, it's crazy. And you're, yeah, you're responsible for all of it. There's a lot of moving pieces. Lewis and I both have, like, a set of wrenches that the bartenders don't use. Oh, yeah, use you got to like, have your secret wrenches. Tighten things and adjust things. I have a box. I don't know if we have it here. I have a box in the basement of Hinterlands that's, like, Charlene's box, and it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I finally got Henry to loosen up. He laughed at Charlene's box. It's in the basement. I get it. It's All in right. the basement. It's, warm it's downstairs. Damp. Yeah, it is. Especially now that I have UTI. Um, so it's filled with like the last thing. Like if we run out of, um, I don't know, register tape or. Like, I have a bottle opener in there. Like, everything that somebody's going to be like, oh, my God, we're out of this thing. And I'm like, ah, I have one. Mm -hmm. I have, like, a secret one. And, it, like, I have pens in there. I have, like, a Sharpie. Now they're going to listen and they're going to know. There's a, there's a lot of room in Charlene's box. There's a lot of room. <laughs> it's a big box. Um, and so I have this box of, like, the last thing because nobody will tell me when they've used the last of something, they're like, it's completely gone. And I'm like, ah, I have one. I have a last one. Smart. And then and then when they tell me we're completely out of it, I'm like, nope, I have one. And then I can order new ones. So, so it's like a fail safe. Stock the box. A, a stock the box. Get a, and then get a, you were the one who told us, which we did now, which has come in very handy, is uh, buying things like Advil socks and tampons and all these things. Yeah, we have yeah, them in yeah. like a little table downstairs. Yeah. And it's like, it's you know, important. Yeah. It's because um, you don't want your bartender to have to go home because she's out of tampons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no excuses. Um, anything else before I get to the uh, tell me about your fucking day segment that I always name wrong? Do you think we did we cover Did we cover well? everything? I mean, um, I waited on Scotty Tip, uh, Scotty Pippen one time at Bluefin, and he had a twelve hundred dollar check, and he didn't tip. <gasps> so they call him No Tippin' Pippin. <laughs> and then I did hear Charles Barkley tell a, a similar story on a park on a podcast recently. So about Scotty not tipping. Yeah, about you know Charles you wow. Barkley tips. Barkley, he says he tips. He tips like thirty to forty percent. All right, but uh, Pippin. No Tippin' Pippin. Oh, wow, man. when it rhymes, what a mistake. It's serious. <laughs> You know, and could be tipping Pippin too. <laughs> yeah. What a what a failed opportunity. Have we him. had any celebrities in minis? Um it sounds like Atkinson, a no. Former yeah. I know the owner podcast guest. Oh, we yeah, had her yeah. She's, she's awesome. Delightful. Yeah. She's, you know, amazing. But no, <laughs> not yet. I we're not yet. We gotta get there. We're we're getting we're getting them. No. You know, um, I had a, a night drinking, a late night drinking with Steve Buscemi right before the bar opened, and he was oh. supposed to come to our opening. You keep promising me Steve Buscemi, and I know, you, you never gotta, deliver. I know, you gotta, gotta keep on your promises. He sent in his, uh, uh, his death doula, because his wife died. <laughs> That's right. You know, and that was, so, but like, she came in, and she's like, Steve Buscemi told me to come here, so he knows we're here. He just, so that's even worse, because it's not like he forgot, it's like... He doesn't want to be around us. I don't think that's it. It's a long way south from Park Slope, you know? It is. Sunset Park. It's going to be great, though. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So I have a segment called You Won't Believe the Fucking Day I Had. 
um, where I encourage people to email me stories about their day and then I read them and then we talk about it. Um, but the thing is, the people, they aren't sending the emails. Hmm. Um, I would like to think it's not because nobody's listening, but it's actually because nobody's doing anything because we're still kind of quarantined. So nothing is happening. So hopefully in the future, people will send their uh, stories. In the meantime, I have been scouring Reddit, Am I the Asshole, for for drinking stories. And I'm going to read one as if a customer came in and told me this story, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, So I'm going to... What were you going to say, Lewis? Oh, I'm no, going to... I'm just getting ready. I'm going to... Oh, good. Be ready. I'm going to um, format it as if this person sent me an email. So, <laughs> dear Charlene, <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe the fucking day I had. Am I the asshole for cussing and getting drunk in front of my kindergarten students? I'm a kindergarten teacher. I teach in-person classes that are socially distanced as well as online classes. Last week was my 27th birthday. I went to a restaurant with a couple of friends for outdoor dining. While we were there, two moms come in with their children and are seated behind me. I recognize them as students in my in-person class. They say hi to me and I say hi back, but then don't interact further. Through dinner, I'm just enjoying my time with my friends. I have a few glasses of wine and get a little tipsy, not rowdy or obnoxious or anything. I'm conversing normally with my friends, occasionally using cuss words like fuck or shit or damn, not excessively, just the way some people would in everyday conversation. Maybe a little more than I would have if I were not tipsy, but again, I'm not speaking loudly or anything, just having normal conversations with my friends. One of the moms then comes over to me and reminds me that my students were there and that I shouldn't be drinking and cursing in front of them. I swear this must be in Park Slope. Since I'm their teacher, it was my job to set a good example to them. I just told her I was off the clock and that if it was bothering her, she could move or stop listening to me. She got all huffy and they soon left. Earlier this week, I was called down by the principal who was with that mom in his office She was angry and complained that I was setting a bad example for my students. And now her daughter was using some of the same (laughs) words I was using, saying that if her teacher could say it, so can she. He asked for my side of the story, and I just explained exactly what happened. Given that she verified my story, he told her that I was not their teacher at that time. And since I wasn't doing anything wrong, they couldn't control my behavior off the clock. She protested a bit, but eventually left but called me a terrible teacher. I thanked the principal for backing me up, but then he said, this is not Park Slope then, (laughs) but then he suggested maybe that one time I should have just stopped drinking and using foul language. I really don't think this was a problem since I wasn't acting out, just talking casually and enjoying a couple of glasses of wine. But am I really the asshole for drinking and using foul language in front of my students while off the clock? Edit. I was not loud or belligerent or excessively drunk. I had two glasses of wine. And when I say was, I was tipsy, 
That's a bit of an exaggeration. It takes more than two glasses of wine for me to start feeling anything. I wasn't screaming obscenities. I was just using slightly foul language in casual conversation. Example, the news is shit. It's too damn hot to be fall. So that is the, oops, am I the asshole? Okay. So So you want to talk about teachers? Yeah, let's talk about teachers. Every bar's bread and butter if you're near near a high school. (laughs) Um, so I would say you're not the asshole. I would say you're not the asshole. I would say in our neighborhood, um, people feel a little bit too entitled. And I've, I've seen like a little bit of this situation where like we have teachers drinking in the bar and then they're like, oh shit, that's a parent or oh shit, that's a student. And in my opinion, you're off the clock. Sure. We, uh, at Minnie's Bar, we have um, a big group of teachers that come here every Friday, just about. Um, Making myself a drink. They get more than a little tipsy. They swear a lot. Um, but I would say, you know what? They're not in a place where their students can come in. Are they pukers or blackouters? <laughs> it's, it's a good mix, actually. There's, uh, there's a fair amount of blacking out and a fair amount of puking by the end. But. Last time we saw them was because uh, they were getting a party bus and they didn't want to meet in Industry City because their kids, you know, hang out there. Uh Uh-huh. But I still agree that they are not the asshole. Yeah. I think teachers should um, be able, I mean, long story short, I think they should be able to do whatever the hell they want when they're not on the clock. Yes. I think coming to a bar where... The we know that like we're not gonna let in young people or people under mm-hmm. twenty one that that kind of nips that whole problem in the bud. It's like maybe don't go to like don't go drunk at Dave and Buster's if you don't want to see your high school kids. Like go to a bar. That's true, but I feel like especially in Park Slope we don't get as much of it here, but we probably will. Um, people go to bars with their kids, and they do feel entitled to tell their kids' teachers how to act, and I think that is wrong. Um, however, on the flip side, when I was in the fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher kept saying gonna, like, in, like when she was teaching, she was like, and then we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I wrote gonna in my like homework, G O N N A. And she marked it wrong. And I was horrified because I knew it was wrong, but the teacher was saying it so much that I thought it was correct. Um, but that was in a classroom setting. I'm just saying. <laughs> in this day and age, I think teachers get enough enough shit that they should be allowed to act act like adults and, dr- and drink af- on you know Seriously. after the clock. We love teachers so, here at Minis. Yeah, act the fool. We'll throw your we'll throw those parents right out of yeah, here. That's why we bought curtains. We close that off so they can't even, <laughs> they can't even see you if they're looking through the front window. There you so go. All teachers and nurses too, because that's another big demographic and. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. You know, it's some, no judgment. Sometimes, like, just at the bar, if somebody's being really, like, obnoxious, like, cursing really loudly, I get mm-hmm. a, you know, I start to wonder if I'm going to need to handle this situation. Are they making other people uncomfortable? But mm-hmm. I remember one time I heard somebody say, you know, like, it's not a church. And it's let, not a church. And that kind of, you know, hit home for me. It's, it's definitely not a church. This is no. the place you go to let off all that steam so that you don't, like, yell at someone's kid. or Right. You and know. I think in the people that do bring their kids to the bar, you have to expect that they're going to be exposed to 
adult language and everything else. So adult it's, language, adult behavior, yeah. so, and it's a good it's themes. a good way to socialize a there child be because like you know don't be a little asshole. <laughs> um, so there you I, go. I don't know. I think I don't think kids in bars. I think it's a it's a confusing thing because you know it's bad, but. Some, maybe it's maybe it's good for them because they can I learn do, to behave. I do know one kid that's probably going to grow up in a bar. Is that it's my uh, kid? Augie? <laughs> yeah, little Augie. <laughs> I mean, how long before he's old enough to bust tables? As soon as he can polish a glass, I will bring him in. Here. <laughs> I hope, and they love. I him. hope Kirsten doesn't listen to this episode. I remember so like mad. an episode <laughs> of uh, Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero where mm-hmm. like they, you know, they pretended to be. Or she had like a kid with her. It wasn't her kid, but she uh-huh. was like waiting tables at the Peach Pit. And they who were, was? <laughs> I don't know, but they were like who had a kid. They discovered that if you bring your kid to work, you get bigger tips as an unwed oh, mother. Oh, so <laughs> so you're gonna have to get a baby Bjorn. I throw Oggy mo- in monetize there. Monetize this baby. Bartend <laughs> with that baby in there, and then we'll make it a pooled house. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, if I could get my cat to sit in a Bjorn, I would be doing that. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do these days. Um, we lost Henry. Yeah, Augie's just going to be doing his homework on the corner of the bar, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. five years from now. And yep. it's like we got to give him, you know, maybe like the Adam Sandler movie with the earmuffs, you know, that oh. might have to, you know, institute Muffs. some some kind of system. Yeah. Or but he's just no going gonna- to. I mean, I guess there's a lesson like, hey, when you hear people saying those things in the bar, that's not okay to say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have kids. Don't get caught. Don't get caught. Yeah. I don't don't have kids. I can't tell you how to raise your kids. I could just tell you we have the same rules for everyone in this bar, in in all my bars, whether they're um, human, baby, dog, no crying, no puking, no peeing, no pooping. (laughs) <laughs> and, if and if you do those things you're going to be thrown out and if you bring your kid in like <laughs> pay a few dollars on the pinball machine and you know buy, you him a, buy him a Shirley Temple spend a few bucks you know? <laughs> it's like we're not here to babysit but we will for ten dollars amen <laughs> um, so I guess the Sopranos I guess because that's got profanity <laughs> well <laughs> I mean they're in a bar it's a bar <laughs> right. thing they can, they can do what they want right Miss so, Pac-Man is very suggestive now things are just getting crazy all right let's wrap this shit up um so this is minnie's bar and how can you help promote minnie's bar during these uh questionable times guys if you go to our (laughs) instagram page there's a link to our merchandise we have fantastic t-shirts featuring the beautiful French Bulldog Boston Terrier mix Minnie the Dog. <laughs> Designed by Jack Jers. Yeah, art art by Jack Jers. If you're here, I'm here every time we're open and we're making, you know, Mexican hot chocolate, spiced hot cider. We keep things very, like, fresh and seasonal. We have, like, great uh, craft cans. We have all local New York beer. It's basically just, like, a good bar for the neighborhood. Very welcoming, open to all people. And we have a large outdoor space. And uh, hopefully we'll see everybody soon. And we also have a Venmo, correct? That's correct. It's um, at minis underscore bar if you wanted to, um, you know, 
Send, send us a tip. Send us a tip. Buy a shirt. Us. Whatever you want. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Any uh, any final words, guys? <laughs> uh, final complaints. I'm, well, we're just. I'm, I'm here staring at our frozen margarita machine, just waiting <laughs> for, until it's warm it's, enough. It's not warm enough, but for, yes, for frozen margaritas. <laughs> just, just keep us in mind. Yeah. And you know, Charlene Lewis and I were here sitting at the bar. We're the only people to have sat at this bar for almost a year now, and uh, we're just very excited to have you back, so you can come. Sit at the bar get, and talk to the, the bartender and wear your mask. Get your vaccine. Yeah, come back. Get, get the vaccine. I don't know. We can't wait to see you. All right, and this has been I know the owner, and I'm here with Henry Mountner. Thanks, Charlene. And Louis Gomez. Thank you. And I'm Charlene Wellington. Good night. Good night. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. How do I shut this thing off? Oh no, we have to turn it on. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know.